Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Good morning. You guys doing good? Good. You guys get a double whammy this morning at Gilman. <laughs> So, sorry. Um, but uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be part of the church. Um, in addition to what Donnie just said about the 30th, everyone say September 30th. Also say October 19th. We are going to be starting um, probably once a quarter. We're, we're still in the developmental stages of it, but I want you to mark your calendars today. Because October 19th, we're going to start something. We're not even sure what we're calling it yet, but we're going to call it a family night for now. Okay, so if you have a family, if you want to be part of a family, if you're in the midst of growing a family or you're dreaming of having a family, if you want to be part of someone else's family, <laughs> come on October 19th. We're going to have just an awesome night of fellowship. We're going to play some games together. We're going to let our kids run around and get crazy together. It's going to be fun. So um, say again, October 19th, be here. It's going to be an awesome night, um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll keep you posted as things develop with that and what that's actually going to look like. But for sure, October 19th, we're going to have a, we're going to have a good time here. Um, so again, my name is Matt Gilman. I'm the worship pastor here at Ascension Christian Center. Um, my beautiful wife, Kelly, and I are both on staff. Um, yeah, come on. Kelly's awesome. My two boys, Isaac and Caden, six years old. They're twins, the little floppy-headed, curly blondes running around. You'll see them, so um, feel free to say hi. Um, but let's just pray real quick and then we'll dive into the words. Is that all right? Cool. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. We love your presence, God. We ask that you would come in a greater capacity, God, beyond what we've ever seen or heard or felt before. God, we ask that you would even come and just blow our agenda out of the water. Whatever you want to do, whatever it looks like for you to come, God, we just say yes. Your presence is everything. You're why we're here. Lord, unless you come, we're just singing songs in vain. So, Lord, I just ask in these next few moments, God, as we dive into the word, that you would match weak words with your power. That in my weakness, your strength would be made perfect. God, I ask that it, um, the word of God would be spoken with power this morning, that it would pierce hearts, that it would guide us into truth. We ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be present in this place, on every heart, God. Take us deeper than we've been before. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. Do you guys love worship? I love worship. It's why I do what I do. I don't want to just sing. The last thing I want to do on a Sunday morning or a worship night or a conference or anything, the last thing that I want to do is just to get through a song list. <laughs> If I'm just singing to get through a song list just to fill up an allotment of time, 
then I, what Donnie said as we, as we were getting ready to um, tra- transition, but he said, Jesus, unless you come, what are we doing here? What are we doing here without the, if the presence of God doesn't show up, what's the point? We were created for encounter with him. We were created to meet with him, to see him, to look upon him. Uh, even like if you look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they walked with God literally face to face with him in the cool of the day. They had relationship with him, face-to-face relationship. We were created for that same purpose. You were created to see him with your eyes, to behold him with your eyes, to hear the sounds of heaven. The reason you have your senses right now is so that you can experience God, not to be entertained by the things of the world. You were created to be exhilarated and to be fascinated by God and who he is. Right? That's your one purpose. I love, this isn't even my message. I'm just, I have to say this, but... Uh, the reason you're alive and breathing, it's, it's, I say this, I, I, I can't not say it when I get up here. It's, it's Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Revelation 4, you have this beautiful description of the throne room, God on his throne, the seraphim crying, holy, holy, holy. Then you have the 24 elders. They cast their golden crowns before the throne. They say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created everything. And it's by your will and it's for your pleasure that we were created. I want to tell you this morning, your highest calling as a human being breathing and walking planet earth right now, your highest calling is to bring pleasure to the heart of your creator. And the way, yeah, come on. The way we do that is in the place of worship and prayer and communion and fellowship with him. Do that. (laughs) Like, don't just do it on Sunday morning. Go and Jesus said, go into your room, lock the door behind you, and seek your Father who sees you in the secret place. He sees you in secret. You were created for fellowship with Him when no one else is looking. If all you, if your, if your life with God is limited to a Sunday morning hour and a half expression of worship, then you are sincerely missing out. I want to tell you that. You are sincerely missing out on the deep things that God has for you because there's an invitation for you to go deep in him, to go deep into the revelation of who he is. If you would just ask him, if you would just go talk to him, the Holy Spirit is a person. He likes to have conversation. He wants to speak with you. He wants to tell you secrets. He wants you to be his friends. Your friends you share your secrets with, right? Because you trust them. He wants, he wants to find people to trust, to be his friends, to share the secrets of his heart with. Go there. Find him. He goes, if you draw near to me, I promise I'll draw near to you. It's who I am. It's what I do. I cre- created you to be with you. The reason you're alive right now is not because he needed you. <laughs> you can't do anything for God that he could not do himself. He does not need you. He desires you. He wants you. He loves you. He dreamt you up. Right? Let's live like that's a reality, okay? Let's go deep in the revelation of who God is. I want to talk to you, and now I'm going to get for real get into my actual message, but um, I want to talk to you guys today about love. Can we talk about love? I, Kelly and I, we just got married Five, six weeks ago, I already got the, come on. Um, it's our 43-day anniversary. So who, who's counting? <laughs> um, 
But uh, so I just got married. So my mind naturally has been thinking a lot about love and the emotions of love and the actions of love and what that looks like to love somebody and what that looks like to receive love. Um, So obviously I'm in love with my wife. I'm in love with my kids, Isaac and Caden. Um, And I don't, some of you might know a little bit of my story. Um, I'm not going to go into the full details of it, but last year was a rough year. Last year was a real rough year personally for me. I went through a divorce, went through just a real painful season, um, something that I would never wish upon anybody, uh, something that I didn't see coming. The words, I want a divorce, are probably the most painful words that anyone could ever hear in their life, I feel like. It's, it's not something that you can emotionally prepare for. It's something that is just absolutely agonizing. And I heard a statistic recently, some of you might be familiar with it, 50%, 50%, half of all marriages in the United States right now will end in divorce or have, have ended in divorce, 50%. That's bad. (laughs) That's rough. That's a rough statistic. The worst part about this is that the statistic goes on. It says 74% of the half of the 50%, so three-fourths of the divorces, are people who actually claim to be Christian, claim to follow Jesus and love him with all of their heart. 74% of all divorces in the United States claim to be Christian marriages. If that number is true then there is something staggeringly wrong with our definition of love. Even within the church. Why, why are so many marriages in the church failing? And I'm, and I'm speaking as one who, you know, went through it. So I'm not trying to invoke shame or anything on anybody because I went through it too. But why is this happening? Why, wh- what is wrong um, with the definition of love that we have acquired in this generation to say that it's okay for 50% of all marriages in the nation to end in divorce and 75, 74%, three-fourths of those, of those divorces are claiming to follow Jesus. There's something wrong. Even marriages that aren't even overtly unhealthy, some people just say, well, I don't love him or her anymore. I've fallen out of love. I don't feel that emotion anymore. I'm not, uh, the, the spark is gone. You know, that's, People are just, the spark is gone, so let's get out. Like, you know? And I just, I believe that we've lost what it means to actually love somebody. And we've diluted love down to just a mere emotion. We've equated love with a mushy feeling the butterflies in our stomach when we meet that special someone, the nerves that we get before we go out on a first date, all of those things are good. Like, I remember when Kelly and I first started talking, uh, she was living in California, I was living over here in Florida. We literally, like the moment we started talking, we were on the phone night and day for months. I haven't slept since we started dating. So, <laughs> and so like, those feelings are good and they're right and they're, you know, you know, obviously, like, you want to harness those feelings a little bit because you can get yourself in trouble. But those feelings are good. The mushy-gushy feeling that you feel when you go on a first date with somebody that you really like, when you work up the courage to be like, hand that note in sixth grade and be like, hey, will you go out with me, yes or no, circle one? <laughs> you know, who did that? Come on, you guys. Let's be honest. 
I did it, and I proudly, I proudly will own it. I passed those notes around. Will you go out with me? Yes or no? Maybe. Circle one. Like, you know, just those feelings, the courage that you get to, to actually go through with that. But we've, we've equated what love is with just a mushy feeling. And once the feeling or the spark or the emotion is gone, then we just want out. And that's not love. That's infatuation. <laughs> that's not love. That's infatuation. The human heart is fickle, and our emotions can change in a moment. What are we to do when we lose the spark or fall out of love? I think as a generation, we have forgotten how to love. And I want to say to you this morning, and I want to say it emphatically to you, that love is not an emotion. Love is a person that you have to get to know. The answer to our love dilemma is not simply just to stir up our emotions or hype ourselves up to get back the feeling. The answer to our dilemma is to actually know the person who is love and to follow his example how to love. We need to know the person who is love and follow his example in how he loves us and how he loved his son and how he leads us through this life with grace and compassion and mercy and love and loving kindness. The the answer to our dilemma is to know him. And that's kind of what we're getting back to what I said at the very beginning. We need to know him to be like him. If we don't have any clue who he is or what he's like or what his emotions are like or what his affections are like, how could we possibly love somebody else the way he loves if we don't know him? 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. God is love. Love. Say, God is love. Say, God is love. Even before humanity, God was love. It's who he is. It's not just an emotion that he has. It's who he is. He is love. John 1, I love this passage. Um, We all know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Did you know that the actual Greek translation of the word with actually means ever increasing toward In the beginning, the word Jesus and the Father in the fellowship of the Trinity with the Holy Spirit were ever increasing in love and affection towards each other before you were even in the picture. It's who he was. It's who he is. They were growing in love towards each other in a blissful state of love and enjoyment with each other. Isn't that cool? Billions of years ago. Before the angels, before the holy city, before whatever it looked like, it was just God fully enjoying himself, fully enjoying the Father, enjoying the Son, and the Son enjoying the Father through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? I love that. But I want to say it's impossible to love rightly without knowing and experiencing the one who is love. 1 John 4.19 you're going you're gonna to hear me say a lot. of I, John is probably my favorite author in the Bible. The reason I love John is because he had a revelation of the love of Jesus that I think the other, tw- the other 11 disciples probably didn't. He actually referred to himself in his own gospel that he wrote as, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. I, isn't that awesome? 
People are like, geez, John's a little arrogant, right? Like, how could he say that? No, John actually, I don't think John was saying Jesus loves me more than the other 11. I think John just walked in the reality and the confidence and the revelation that he knew Jesus' affection towards him was real and powerful. He was confident in, in his Savior's affection over him. But 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because why? Because he first loved us. It takes God to love God. (laughs) That's a famous Mike Bickle quote, if you guys have ever been to the house of prayer. It takes God to love God. We cannot love without God, right? We must experience his love before we're able to show it back to him or to show it to those around us. How do we experience it? Well, Paul prays for us in Ephesians chapter 3. He goes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I want to say that again, that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is actually inviting you to know something that in and of our own minds and our own capacity in our brains is not knowable. The love of God is so high. It's so lofty. It's actually by ourselves, but unless we have the Holy Spirit reveal it to us, we cannot experience it. In its fullness. He goes, I want you to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. It's like an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. Outside of the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. And I believe the Holy Spirit is eagerly waiting to reveal it to us. We need encounters with the God of love. We need to deliberately, intentionally, and sometimes even violently carve out time in our schedule to commune with him, to receive with him. And if we don't experience true love ourselves, how could we ever love someone else rightly? How could we ever love God rightly if we don't experience love for ourselves? It's impossible. I think of the prayer that Jesus prayed In John 17, this is right before he was arrested, um, before the crucifixion, before the passion. Um, John 17, 23, he says, I in them, he's praying for us. He says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfect in one so that the world may know that you, Father, sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Did you know that the Father loves you just like he loves Jesus? Did you know that when you said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to eternal life, you were adopted into a family and you are just as much a son of the Father as Jesus? That's intense. <laughs> like, if you, like, let that sink in for a moment. The Father loves you the same way he loves his son, the same son that he was with billions of years ago. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with. The word was toward God billions of years ago. He loves you with that same intensity, that same raw, real love. Um, I love the I love just going through scripture and looking at pictures of 
the father's display of love for his son. One of them, one of my favorite ones is when Jesus was baptized. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus was baptized and the father's heart was so moved for him that he literally ripped open the heavens and screamed at the them for the whole crowd to hear, that's my boy. That's my boy. I love him with an everlasting love. I love him. Did you know that he loves you the same way? The same way, the same expression, the same intensity. That's my boy. That's my girl. You're mine. I love you. Proverbs 8, it says, the father speaks of the pre-incarnate Jesus as a master craftsman at his right hand. It says, he was daily my delight, fully delighting in one another. Uh, Jeremiah 31, the father says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. I have loved you with an everlasting, undeniable, eternal love. That's towards you. One of my favorites, Psalm 139. You guys probably know this one well. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand of the sea. You ever ask God what he thinks about during the day? I dare you to ask him. (laughs) I dare you to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you think about every day as time goes by? What do you think about? I know what his answer will be. You. His thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the sea. That's a lot of thoughts. That's a lot of thoughts. Constantly, you're on his mind. Constantly, you're on his mind. uh, Jesus, in John 15, speaking to his disciples, he goes, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Let's talk for a second about how Jesus loves you. (laughs) Can we do that for a sec? Let me talk about the incarnation for a second. I mean, we, we're coming into the holiday season here in the next few months. We're going to be, you know, doing Christmas shopping and Thanksgiving. We're going to be eating a lot of food. It's awesome. I love the holiday season. It's my favorite time of year. But I don't want us to lose, and I'm all about Santa Claus and all of those things. Like, that's fun. Christmas trees, like, <laughs> I get it. Like, I'm, I'm all about it. I don't want us to lose the depth of why we're celebrating. Do you realize the depths to which he came? From what the height which he was in before to the depths he came down to, the gap between there. Do you understand what happened? This is God dwelling in eternity for billions and billions and billions of years with no beginning. Wrapped in light as a garment, had garments of light. 
was fully enjoying himself with his father. And even when a third of the angels rebelled, a third of the angels snubbed their noses at God and he did nothing. But when humanity fell, God looked down over the balcony of heaven. Jesus looked down and said, I have to win them back. I have to win them back. The, the height from which he came to the depths. I want to tell you, even if Jesus were to come, put on flesh, and be, and he was born into a royal family in the highest uh, empire, the most powerful empire the world has ever seen, that in and of itself would have been the greatest act of humility ever in the history of the universe. If he were to come as a king and rule the nations 2,000 years ago, that would have been the highest act of humility ever. He took it a step further, and he actually was born to a lowly couple in a lowly place. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and he was born in the lowliest of places in a feeding trough because there wasn't any room for him. Like, do you understand? Like, the Savior of the world. I love Stuart Greaves as a teacher at, at the House of Prayer in Kansas City. He goes, it's a miracle in and of itself that Mary didn't explode with the power of God when Jesus was planted inside of her. <laughs> It's incredible. The fact that Jesus is flesh, what didn't combust, because, the, I mean, the fullness of God dwelt in him bodily. That's crazy talk, right? Crazy talk. And it wasn't just a 33-year sacrifice. Jesus, eternal God, came down, took on flesh forever. Did you know Jesus is a man forever? He's a human being forever because of the choice that he made to come and win you back for the sake of love. He put on flesh forever. He's a man forever in a glorified body forever. And he wasn't just becoming a man. He was tempted in every single way. It's not like he had this angelic shield around him guarding him from every evil thought or temptation that might come, come to him. No, it says he was tempted in every single possible way yet he resisted sin to the point of shedding his blood. Have you ever resisted sin to the point of bloodshed? <laughs> That's crazy. And to prove that love is not just an emotion, let's flash back to when Jesus was praying in the garden before he was arrested. Sweating drops of blood. Pleading with his father, take this cup from me. I can't do it. Those were his real emotions. He wasn't just blindly going, ah, oh, I love them, Father, scourge me. Like, it wasn't, that was not what he was feeling. He actually was so anxious and so nervous and so terrified and afraid that he actually sweat drops of blood from his head. Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. I don't want to do it. It says he was scourged, he was whipped and beaten, he was marred beyond human recognition. He had his, hair, his facial hair ripped out, he was spat upon, he had thorns dug deep into his head, he had a spear stuck in his side, and he was carrying that cross to Calvary, and every step of the way you were on his mind. He goes, Father, I desire, John 17, 24, I desire that those whom you've given me would be with me where I am. I will do whatever it takes, Father, to 
to get them to be with me forever. I want them with me where I am. Every step of the way to Calvary, every step and act of intercession, Father, I desire, I desire that those whom you've given me would be with me where I am. Father, I desire that Donnie would be with me where I am. I desire that Matt would be with me where I am. I desire that the the Church of Ascension Christian Center would be with me where I am. I want them with me and I will do whatever it takes. I will bear this burden. I will go my way to the cross because of the vision set before me. He could have called a legion of angels to save him. He could have. He could have been transfigured into his full glory in a moment. And I mean, actually, he kind of did in the garden when they said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. And he goes, I am. Did you, I love that passage. It's such a small phrase. And, uh, but he goes, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus. And he goes, I am. And it says they all drew back and they fell to the ground when he said, I am. Isn't that crazy? And they still arrested him. <laughs> it's crazy. But he shrouded his glory with skin because he knew he had to become a curse for our sake so that simply we could just be with him. He loves you. He loves you. And he closes his prayer in John 17. He goes, Father, I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. That the love with which you, what, with which you have shown me, the love that Jesus showed us, the love that his Father showed him and us, could be in them, in you. In you, you have the capacity by the power of the Holy Spirit to love like Jesus loved, to love like the Father loves. It's the reason Jesus gave us those first and second commandments. He goes, first, you shall love the Lord your God. Second, you're going to love your neighbor. But you have to know love in order to give love. And we are called to love in that same way. I love Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this. He goes, have this mind in you, which was also in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, denying his emotions, to take on even the most shameful deaths, to become a curse for your sake. Though he was rich, he became poor, that for our sake we might become rich. He became poor for our sake so we could become rich. Are we willing to love beyond what our emotions say? I'm asking you. Don't answer out loud, this is rhetorical, but are you willing to love beyond what your emotions are, sell, are telling you? I think the reason we have such a love dilemma in our world right now is because people are dictating how they love by what their emotions are say, or what, what their emotions are telling them. And it's not okay. Our emotions are fickle. Our emotions will lead us astray. Uh, Paul says that our heart 
is deceitful above all things. <laughs> the world says, trust your heart. Paul says, no, your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Are we willing to give up that which might even be rightfully ours to show love to someone else? Are we willing to love our neighbors as ourselves? I was convicted about this today. I lived in the same house for about five years. I don't even know my neighbors. <laughs> like, I'm just being honest and vulnerable with you guys. Are we willing to love our neighbors as ourselves? Someone that maybe we don't know in a real personal way, but someone who still bears the image of God. Someone who's still their son or is still his son or daughter. Are we willing to love our neighbor as ourselves? What does that mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, how do you love yourself? If there's harm coming at you, you protect yourself from harm. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you go protect your neighbor. <laughs> if if you if you see harm coming to your neighbor, you go protect your neighbor. You you, you know, be a shield around them and you love them through whatever is coming at them. Are we willing to go beyond our comfort zone? Are we willing to go beyond what our emotions are telling us to do and to actually love the way God loves? Are we willing to love and pray for our enemies? I'm going to close here in just a moment. Are we willing to love and pray for our enemies? Jesus he goes, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. Well, Jesus took it even further than that. He said he, he laid down his life even for his enemies, for the very ones who were driving the nails into his hands and feet as they were crucifying him. He was praying for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think about that, like how to love like that, and I feel like it's impossible, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we have access to that love. Husbands, are we willing to love our lives, our wives, as Christ loved the church? Are we willing to love our wives as Christ loved the church? You say, well, the wives are also supposed to submit. I don't even care about that verse right now. <laughs> like, I'll let a wife come up and talk about that verse. Like, husbands, are we willing to love our wives as Christ loved the church? I guarantee you that we would not have a 50% divorce rate in America if husbands loved their wives like Christ loved the church. And the wives submit to your husbands is one of the most misused and abused verses in the entire Bible. Let me be a feminist this morning. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that he died for her to present her pure and blameless and spotless on that day, to be prepared for Jesus, to give up that which is rightfully yours, to watch her succeed, to enter into her destiny. Husbands, are you willing to love your wives like Christ loved the church? you stand with me for a moment? Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.